Welcome to Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff, where we interview newsmakers, storytellers, and all-around interesting people. Sit back, relax, uh, unless you're driving, and enjoy the show. Here's Jackson. Hello, hello, hello. I am Jackson Huff. This is Not in a Huff. Thanks so much for joining me. As always, really appreciate it. This week, I'm speaking with Sam and Melissa. Now, I found them through kind of watching YouTube videos about the world of, of polygamy, the world of Warren Jeff's FLDS church. Of course, a few weeks ago, I spoke with uh, Warren Jeff's 65th wife. We talked all about, you know, living the polygamous lifestyle, the church, and how things went very, very uh, wrong and, and very, very uh, sinister, I would say. Quickly, once Warren Jeffs took over the uh, Fundamentalist uh, Church, the Fundamental Latter-day Saints Church, uh, of course, the mainstream Latter-day Saints are, are more commonly referred to as Mormons. And Sam and Melissa kind of have an interesting uh, approach, uh, an interesting way of coming about this, because Sam grew up in the FLDS Church, in the, the polygamist world, and Melissa grew up in the traditional traditional. LDS Church, and I, I use the word traditional lightly because, you know, I guess they, they broke away from each other in the, the 1800s, uh, but uh, I guess the, the fundamentalists would probably say they're more traditional, and the other, you know, the, the Mormon side would say they are, so uh, that's, uh, that's used lightly, but they could talk about what it was like growing up in these churches, what it was like for Sam to grow up in a polygamous world. They answer common questions and they do all this through social media namely youtube videos so i was watching some of those and i i knew that i wanted to speak with them to hear just a little bit more about that world and uh, the conversation certainly did not disappoint this week uh, is is part one of two uh the conversation was just so great that uh, it, it took a little took a little longer to uh, to cover everything and uh, I didn't want to make this one episode super super long so we're cutting it into two parts this week we're going to talk about just what the world of uh, the FLDS looks like what it looked like for Sam growing up what it was like growing up with several different moms what it was like being homeschooled and then being kind of taken out of school and and being uh, put on some of these work crews that uh, the FLDS is known for and then uh, we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, once Warren Jeffs took over uh, from his father and how things started uh, going going in a much different way. And we're going to touch on, uh, and where we're going to leave it this week is, is touching on how Sam decided to leave the church uh, when he was 18 years old. Uh, he, he did it kind of spontaneously. Uh, very interesting story. We're going to uh, to cover most of that and and finish the rest of that story uh, next week as, as and also talk about uh, kind of what it was like trying to um, I guess assimilate to the to the outside world once he left a lot of great things next week this week is amazing as well uh, you're really going to enjoy this one here is Sam and Melissa I'm here today with Sam and Melissa from growing up in polygamy Sam Melissa how are you Doing well, Good. thanks. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so it's always an, an interesting challenge when I've got two people. 
it's going to kind of be up to you guys on whether you want to kind of divvy up the questions, fight to the death to answer them. It's really up to you. But <laughs> I want to, I guess, start out with a question for, for both of you to answer. And that's just kind of setting the stage. Sam, you grew up in the FLDS church. And then Melissa, mm -hmm. I believe you grew up in the LDS church. So I want to kind of just from the basic level, and this could be a, a topic all on its own, but from a basic level, how are those different? How is your growing up different from each other? Yeah. I mean, both of them have the same fundamentals, right? So they both started with Joseph Smith um, receiving a vision from God and having God appear to him and, you know, praying in a grove saying, which church is the correct church? And God telling him none of them are correct and that he was meant to start his own. And all of Mormonism, there's lots of different branches of Mormonism. The mainstream is what we often refer to as the church that I grew up, the LDS Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Um, that's definitely the largest by far worldwide, about 17 million members. And that's the church that I grew up in. And then Sam grew up in the yep. fundamentalist Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. So that's what that F stands for is fundamentalist. Right. And there are some a lot of similarities when it comes to the scriptures they read, the songs they sing, and different things like that. But there are some very big differences. One of those is that the mainstream LDS church put an end to the practice of polygamy. And that was through the prophet <clears throat> Wilford Woodruff. And at that time, the FLDS church felt that and still feel that the practice of polygamy was a fundamental, very important doctrine and command from God himself. And so to just put an end to that, they didn't feel okay with that. And they continue to live polygamy today. Yeah. And the thing that I guess I've tried to, to figure out and the people that I've talked to, and this is kind of hard hitting right out the bat, it's just about... I know that that was the thing that kind of broke up these two churches in the, the late 1800s, the, the polygamy aspect. But outside of that, has the churches completely, you know, went in, in very separate directions? Or is it truly just kind of polygamy that sets them apart? Because we look at FLDS and it is, you know, people think of that as being very extreme and, and out there. But then we look at LDS and it's a relatively, um, you know, common religion. You know, we have politicians we have a lot of people that are, are that religion so i just wonder surely there's a lot more differences or we wouldn't be looking at one so much different than the other correct there are a lot more yes there are many differences for sure but the breakoff still came there's still a lot of core similarities and so it's like the things that make everyone or the different groups of mormonism look really different on the outside all come from the same stem from the same doctrine. So while, you know, growing up in the mainstream religious church, I didn't believe in polygamy. I still have to believe or that we're supposed to practice polygamy right now. I still had to have a belief in polygamy. Mm -hmm. And so the mainstream church went and kind of followed more of societal norms um, and would kind of change like with the times. Mm -hmm. So the state of Utah couldn't become a state if they practice polygamy. And then there was a revelation that there is no more polygamy, you know, and there were constantly things within society that would change. And after the civil rights movement, then, you know, um, black people were able to have the priesthood after that happened. And so there were societal changes that our prophets kind of kept in line with. And the FLDS just stuck true to the church in the beginning in the 1800s and just hasn't changed. So we still have to believe, I think the mainstream LDS church still believes a lot of the same stuff doctrinally and fundamentally that the FLDS does. 
And then their profits and everything new from like the mid 1900s, probably more like the 1950s and on is really where it starts separating and you see these huge divides into what looks like now so far apart. Right. And and that's a key point is the fact that what the prophets are doing today. So yes, in the beginning, the FLDS church, the main difference between the FLDS and the mainstream LDS was polygamy. From there, of course, with different leaders and different prophets down to now we know Warren Jeffs, leader of the FLDS church, has done a lot of really awful things. Obviously, that is the reason he is currently in prison today. So when you look at the FLDS church now, a lot of people look at the FLDS church as the Warren Jeffs church. And when you look at it that way, it looks like this awful place because of the things that Warren Jeffs has done, which have gone so far away from the original teachings of even the FLDS church. Yeah. I I like a lot of the things that that you said there, things that I kind of realized, but I wasn't necessarily going to to say myself. So I, I appreciate that. Uh, other things that I want to ask you about now, we've, we've kind of talked about how there's differences, that uh, huge differences started happening in the 1950s. I assume unless you guys are, are on some beauty products that I'm not, you were born after the 1950s. So <laughs> I wonder, just growing up, talk a little bit about you, you guys' experiences growing up. I want to get to Sam's experience leaving the FLDS church, but before that, let's talk about kind of growing up and, and what childhoods look like in each of these different uh i guess sex yeah you want to go first babe yeah i'll go go first and then that can lead into leaving but excuse me yeah so growing up lds like i grew up in utah and so you know it's predominantly lds so very we weren't the minority as we are in a lot of other places in the world um I'd say just very strong Christian values. It's all about the family, the doctrine of a family being eternal. You know, families can be together forever and that you're sealed for this life and the next was very big and utilized. So very, very big on family. I would say, you know, it's definitely high demand in the sense that you spend a lot of time and all your time and effort and even money, everything goes towards the church. So, you know, growing up, I would go to... You know, you have church, Sunday school, you go on Sunday for three hours. I would go to young women's groups on Tuesdays during high school. I would go and you'd have um, what was called seminary, where you would go and have religion classes every single day. You do the same thing in college. So definitely it's an all-consuming religion, which we consider, you know, a huge privilege and honor to be a part of something that your religion and your everyday life go hand in hand. And so, yeah, you you get baptized at the age of eight. And you start making what they call like the covenant path where you're living your whole life, getting ready and to make these covenants and these promises with God that are ultimately going to lead to you having an eternal family and going to the temple. And it was always just this um, very set out straight and narrow path of exactly how you were supposed to act and exactly what you were supposed to do for the next step in your life. And that came down to even things like modesty, being very modest, not allowed to show your shoulders, not supposed to wear bikinis, no short shorts, no tank tops, uh, only one piercing in each ear, you know, everything from the the clothes you wear to the word of wisdom, you know, no drinking coffee or tea. So a lot of very specific rules that were all meant to keep you on this very specific path um, through life. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of what Melissa just said was similar to some extent that I was raised in, in the sense that there was always a 
this is how you do this. This is what you are to do next. Basically everything she said, but uh, much more extreme. <laughs> <laughs> yep. I guess you could say in the sense that, you know, modesty, for example, we'll take that. Modesty was well above and beyond what the mainstream LDS church would consider modest. For example, you couldn't even show your forearm. forearm. A shirt would go come down to your wrist. If you're wearing a dress, down to your ankles, pants down to your ankles. So you were completely covered at all times, partly because we had what we called the underwear or the garment that we wore, and it was also full length. And so in order to cover that up, you also had the, you had to have the clothes to do that. But anyway, it was very, very modest. But yes, as far as growing up in the FLDS church, a lot of people want to know what it was like as a young boy growing up there or just a, a child in general. And it was overall, I would say partly thanks to my parents, because I feel like I was very lucky to be born in a good family. But overall, I had a great childhood. I felt that I had great parents that loved me, that tried really hard to give me a good life based on the cards they were dealt. That's that's the important key there is I felt that I had a perfect, great childhood because that's all I knew. And my parents were doing the best they could based on what they knew and were told that they had to do. So it was a lot of fear tactics within the community, not not because of my family per se, but because of the religion and the belief. But there was a lot of fear growing up. I could I could say that, you know, I would be afraid of who knows, uh, God smiting me or something if I did anything wrong because we were t constantly told that God was watching every move and that everything we did was reported back to the heavens. And if it wasn't what the leaders of the church told us to do, that we could be severely punished in some way. So things like that were just common. But other than that, I had a very large family. I have <laughs> 30, 35 or 36, I always forget exactly, siblings. So a lot of siblings, four moms. four moms in the home. My mom was the second wife. And so I was very used to four mothers in the home. They were just like, I don't know. I always know knew who my mother was, but the other mothers became a mother figure as well. They were always in the home. They were always there and they could help any child regardless of who their mother was. So, you know, it just became very common and normal for me, honestly, to have four mothers in the home. And uh, anyway, so it was obviously unique. Lots of people around. I have uh, siblings that are old enough to be my parents and then siblings that are much, much younger than me as well. <laughs> yeah, it's, exactly. So a very large range of people, but you know, we weren't allowed to really do the fun things, I guess, that, that most kids do when it comes to computer, computer or video games, uh, watching TV or movies, or a lot of the things that a lot of kids do these days wasn't really an option for us. So we spent our time outside as much as possible. We would hike mountains. We would drum, jump in a, a river or I don't know. We would build things. Sometimes we got dangerous, you know, and built bows and arrows and things like that where we honestly, I don't even know how we're alive to this day. <laughs> you, you put that many brothers together. The sisters, my sisters mostly had to stay in inside, or at least they were supposed to stay inside the home, taking care of the the things that needed to be done around the home. I don't envy their responsibilities. They did a lot of cooking and 
cleaning cleaning clothes and cleaning the home, which we helped with that too as young boys, but we spent more time outside doing things. At At a very young age, I would say around the age of 13 and 14, I started doing full-time work outside of the community on job sites, actually. So hard workers uh, is something that the FLDS church members are known for, just being really hard workers. And from a very young age, we were expected to be hard workers, not to mention that I would see my older brothers out there doing their work and and it just kind of became, well, that's what I want to do because that's what they're doing. Uh, as far as schooling goes, I know there's, a, man, this is a, there's a lot of information here. So <laughs> at any point, feel free to stop me if you have a specific question. No, go ahead. But as far as schooling goes growing up, it was all homeschool. So as far as my family and in my age group anyway, before Warren Jeffs became prophet and some of my older siblings they actually did get a, I guess you could say a regular education in a public school system and that. But once Warren Jeffs became the prophet, it was all homeschool. And so that was my experience. Everything that I experienced was homeschool. I don't think anyone that was teaching me had, you know, a degree of any kind. So I don't know that, well, yeah, I don't think so. I'm thinking back and I think all of the ones that taught me specifically were homeschooled as well or didn't really have much of an education. So you can imagine that I I got the best education I could given the circumstance I was in, but it wasn't great by any means. And and not to mention that as soon as I was a young teenager, I was out on job sites full time as well. So that was that was rough looking back now, but the way I was raised, it didn't seem that important, especially around the community. My my own father would tell me sometimes that it was very important to get an education, but then you would kind of fill the vibe around the community and it didn't seem to be that important. And so we were just supposed to go to work and, and bring money back into the community because all of the money we made was, or at least a lot of it was supposed to come back, go into the community and in a roundabout way, go to Warren Jeffs for the, what he would say, the building up of the kingdom of God on earth. So a lot of boys and men were just giving their money back to the church that they would make. Mm, yeah, I want to I want to kind of touch on something that that you both mentioned, and that is family, because that's something that I, you know, when I've talked to other people, they've mentioned definitely with the LDS church, and you said it too that family is extremely important with the FLDS church. Is is that necessarily the case? Because from what I've heard, yes, family was important, but also it was more centralized around, you know, the prophet because he could easily break up a family. So how did you balance trying to make mm. your family important and also knowing that, you know, it, it could change and all of a sudden you have a different mom or or now your dad is somebody totally different. I, I don't think that happened to you, but I know that it happened to some. Oh, yes. It happened to a lot, unfortunately. <laughs> a lot of this started happening, uh, I would say, around 2010, 2011 and 12 time. I moved out, and we'll get to that later, but I moved out in 2008. So I just missed the, or at least in in my family and those that I'm very familiar with, I hadn't seen in the community as much shuffling around as later came. I will say, though, that while I was still living in uh, Colorado and Hilldale, Utah, and uh, in that area there, Short Creek area, 
I did see and witness a lot of the men being forced in, out of the community and kicked out of the community and then their wives being married off to somebody else. So I did see that, but it didn't happen to my own family while I was there. So thankfully, I didn't have to experience that firsthand. But yes, it was something that happened a lot. And as far as family and connection, I think that, uh, you know, naturally as humans, we feel a connection to our family. At least I hope everyone feels that. And so even though a lot of members were put in this very, very difficult situation where they had to choose God over their family, basically, in their mind, that's what they were doing. It was either I choose my family and go against God, or I do what the prophet says. And so they were put in a very difficult situation, especially because of the way they were raised and taught to believe that this life isn't really that important. It's all about what comes in the next life. So just keep sweet, be obedient, and do what you're told here. And then you have all of these amazing promises in the next life. And I was going to say that's... I. It's an interesting parallel because in the LDS church growing up, you know, there weren't, there wasn't a prophet who was separating families, but it was still very much talked about that God was more important than anything else. Mm -hmm. Like I remember in general conference where the prophet of the church would speak and there'd be stories told of, you know, people, um, I remember one in particular, I think it was Gordon B. Hinckley was the prophet. And he said he was on an airplane coming back from Europe and there was a young girl who had left her entire family behind. None of her family approved of her joining the church. And he was like, I can't believe that you left all your family and everything behind. And she just looked at him and said, well, it's true, isn't it? And if it's true, then and he, you know, and it was this very impactful, inspiring thing that she was willing to let go of her family. So while family is like this center unit, and luckily we don't have a prophet that's going around separating people, there's still this underlying thing that God is more important than family. And you still need to choose God and you need to choose his church over family. And you see that quite often sometimes where it's still encouraged or you know, you're not supposed to date people not of the faith because you don't want to be in a um, mixed faith, a mixed, mixed faith, faith. Yeah. yeah, mixed faith marriage, you know, and things like that. So while it wasn't as extreme, I would say that even the LDS church, the idea of God and the church above family is definitely still one. Or even when we got married, like if you got married in the temple, luckily they changed this, but I mean, we're talking a couple hundred years first. <laughs> but, mm -hmm. you know, like if you have family members that aren't worthy to go into the temple um, at your wedding, then they can't be there for your ceiling, right? And so there were all these instances of where, like when we got married, we had to choose, are we going to go and have this ceiling done, which is important to our faith and is like the most important pinnacle moment of the whole path, or am I going to let my dad be able to see me get married? And we chose the church. And I still regret that. But it's one of those things that it felt like in that moment, like I had to choose God and my faith over my relationship with my father in that moment, because that's what I'm supposed to do. So again, not as extreme, but there's definitely still parallels between the way that it's viewed within Mormonism, both mainstream and fundamental. Right, right. Yeah. And we're talking about, you know, not as extreme. That's kind of good, brings up a good question for you, Melissa. We, growing up, and did you guys know about, I guess, the FLDS church? What was, what, what's the, I guess, what's the church's policy around it? And then what was, what was, I guess, families? What, what were their thoughts about it? Did they think, oh, this, these other people are 
are crazy or, or some people thinking, oh, they're actually living the true word or, or what was what was the what was the thought? So I actually grew up in St. George, which is about 45 minutes away from Short Creek where Sam grew up. So we are very familiar with the polygamous groups. And um, I always grew up being told they were like our religious cousins and that law enforcement needs to leave them alone. Like before finding out all the things that Warren Jeffs did, I'd say most LDS, mainstream LDS people are like, listen, they weren't following the true prophet. So they've been led astray, but like they're just trying to do their best. And we understand why they believe in polygamy. They're just our cousins over there doing their best. They're good people. We're over here following the true prophet (laughs) and we're doing our best over here. And so, yeah, I don't think there was a lot of judgment until there started being like when Warren Jeffs took over as their prophet and he started kicking out like young boys, what was called the lost boys. And we're talking like, 10, 12, 13 year old boys that were being kicked out on the streets. And like, I had members of my ward or like within my neighborhood that took in some of these lost boys. And I went to high school with some of them that had like found homes in St. George. And so I think that was probably the first time that my LDS community was realizing like something might be up out there that we don't know about or something wrong's going on if they're kicking out their children and like picking the church leaders over their kids. Um, But until that point, I had been basically taught like they believe the same stuff as us. They're just living it like in the 1800s instead of following the true modern prophet. Yeah, I know. I know that there were other people within the mainstream LDS church that thought differently, right? Everybody has different opinions about certain things based on their experience and, and their views. But but uh, yeah, it's interesting because as far as we were concerned, we looked at the uh, the LDS church from the FLDS standpoint. We look at the big LDS church, mm-hmm. or at least a lot of us did, as the great and abominable church that is talked about in the Book of Mormon, meaning basically it's this big wicked church that's being run by Satan. Mm-hmm. And and it is uh, this super wealthy and they're super flashy with their big fancy temples and things like that. You know, and so I don't too much money. Yeah, Yeah. which is just so crazy because that's and and then and then I was introduced to the LDS church later on and found out that that is not how they look at it as all they look. They look at it as being a humble church and just following God. So it's just the the way that the FLDS saw it because they were so much bigger and fancier, I guess (laughs) you could say. that's the way we thought and the lds we were taught well like i was taught that um the great and abominable church was the catholics right so i guess there's always (laughs) someone bigger and shinier than you to be able to point the finger and say they're the great and abominable church (laughs) (laughs) well that's funny we've we've talked a lot about and you guys have said several times you know this happened once warren jeffs took over or you know something got more extreme once warren jeffs took over i've heard that a lot so i guess i just want to ask the basic question of what was what was this church like before Warren Jeffs when it was I think it was Rulon Jeffs his dad mm-hmm. before was it was it still very extreme and, and Warren Jeffs just took it to you know level 10 or did Warren Jeffs truly make this church I guess the the nightmare that it turned into for a lot of people yeah that's a great question and yes very common as well but 
I would say that even with Rulin Jeffs, Warren's father, things started to take a turn. And there would be some people that would say that once the Jeffs took over, because before Rulin Jeffs, it was Leroy Johnson. A lot of people, in fact, most people I know that have shared experiences with Leroy Johnson, it was all positive. And then you start having a lot of people start saying negative things about Rulin Jeffs and of course, Warren Jeffs. So, but my whole experience with it was when I was born into it, Rulin Jeffs was the prophet and he was, you know, the prophet for a lot of years as I was growing up. And so in my opinion and what I personally experienced, I thought Rulin Jeffs was a great guy. You know, I mean, he looked like he was super happy there for the people and I don't know, we we did a lot of enjoyable things like like uh, big community events for 4th of July celebrations and harvest festivals. And we got together as a community quite frequently and did these things together as a community that felt like we were a close, strong, really good community at the time. And I know that there will be other people that maybe had different experiences that were a little bit older during that time. But it seemed like as a young boy growing up, things were pretty good with Ruthen Jeffs as the prophet. And uh, so, and then he start, he had a stroke and then he had another stroke. And so as he started getting a little bit sick and was having a hard time getting around the community as much, you know, Warren Jeff started taking over in a way that he said he was speaking for his father and that was just telling the people what his father wanted them to hear. But those messages slowly became a little bit different than we were used to. And so we could tell, I didn't think about it at the time, but now looking back, I could I could see that there were things changing even before his father passed away. But yes, as far as ruling or as far as Warren Jeffs taking over and making things more extreme, it was night and day difference. It was almost immediately that these big walls started going up around compounds and houses and properties and everything became more secretive. And suddenly people were disappearing out of nowhere. I had, you know, siblings that would just disappear and I, we would have no idea where they went. And sometimes we were told, Oh, they were sent to go build up Zion somewhere. We didn't know. I know now that a lot of them were going to Texas to build the the ranch there that they that they had in El Dorado, Texas, and the temple and all of that. So I know now, but then it was just all of these secrets. And then Warren Jeff stood up in front of a meeting and in front of the whole community and and over the pulpit told several men, I think it was eight, that they were wicked and that they were no longer welcome because they did something. I don't remember what it was, but it wasn't really anything big. It was just that they were no longer following the rules properly and forced them out of the community and told them to leave their families and just be gone and go repent from afar. And, you know, and so we would see these things. And these were men that were very, very highly respected in the community too. These were men that everybody thought were great people that would preach in the meetings and things like that. And so it was very, very quickly that we started seeing everything turning around, Warren Jeffs taking everything for himself, marrying so, so many girls and women. Young girls. Yeah, yeah, and underage girls too. A lot of that we didn't really see. Once again, it was kept secret. But this girl would disappear. This sibling would disappear. This 
person, this husband that we knew or that was around would disappear and his wives would be left alone in the home. So that, that kind of thing just started happening very, very often. I want to kind of get to your story of, of leaving. This is normally something that I would, you know, think, okay, we got to, we got to carve out at least a third of the interview to talk about that. But I've heard you talk about it before. It was kind of a spur of the moment type of thing. So I just wonder <laughs> what made you decide, hey, it's time to to leave. I think you were on a on a job site, if I if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. So there's a long version and a short version. I'll try to get most of the information out and condense and condense it as much as possible. But yes, ultimately, what led to that decision was meeting people from the outside world. Because as young men and young boys, we would go out on these job sites and we would work with the outside world. We weren't supposed to really become friends with anyone. We were supposed to just go out, deal with who we had to deal with in order to make the money that we needed to make and then bring it back. So it wasn't really that we were allowed to go make friends. But as I got a little bit older as a young teenager, I started to notice things that were surprising to me. And the reason they were surprising is because we were taught and raised that the outside world was wicked and that uh, a lot of them were on Satan's ground and that they were being controlled by him and that all of these all of these things we would hear about the outside world that we were told there's no way they could be happy. You can't be happy if you don't if you don't belong to this church, that kind of thing. And as I started to work with some of these outsiders, especially this one family that we met, we were doing a remodel job for them and they would come out and talk with us. They were very, very friendly. Right away, I noticed that they seemed to be a very good family, very happy and just seemed like everything was going really well for them. And in my mind, I'm thinking, how, <laughs> you know, how are, how are they happy? You can't be happy. You're in the outside world, right? So, but it's, it gets your wheels turning. And so we started to get friendly with some of the family members. And in fact, some of my brothers were forced off of that job site because we were getting too friendly and forced to go work somewhere else. Anyway, before we were forced away, we were able to exchange numbers. And so later on, this is a couple months later, we were working at a job site in St. George, Utah. St. George, Utah is about 45 minutes uh, outside of Short Creek area, Hilldale and Colorado City. And so we were in St. George area, we were doing a job site. And we, after that, we had made arrangements, me and a couple of my brothers to go to dinner with, with one of the daughters of this family, which of course, if we had got, if anyone had seen us from the FLDS, we would have been in huge trouble being out to dinner with not only an outsider, but someone from the opposite sex is just a huge no-no because we were always told that we could not date, uh, not even within the FLDS church. All of the marriages were arranged and completely up to the prophet to who you were going to marry and when. So something like that, going out to dinner with someone from the outside that, was, um, that wasn't part of the FLDS and a girl, we would have just been in big, big trouble. But we were re- feeling rebellious that night, I guess, and we did go to dinner. And there were four of us brothers, two of my more righteous brothers, I guess you could say, decided that they were going to go straight home after that before they got caught. Me and one of my other brothers and one of our friends that was with us that time, at that time, 
we wanted to, you know, hang out more and and be able to talk and ask questions that we had. And we ended up driving to a park and we were at the park just sitting and chatting. Anyway, we were pushing it, you know, all of a sudden we looked down and we saw it was two o'clock in the morning. And of course, you know, our parents were trying to get a hold of us, wondering where in the world we are. We knew at this point, if we decided to go back, we were going to be in huge trouble. And so we didn't really want to go back. Me and my brother looked at each other and our friend, and we said, uh, uh, well, you know, what if instead of going back and getting into all of this trouble, we just stayed out, just didn't, just didn't go back home, right? And I mean, looking back now, of course, that was just insane. I probably had 20 bucks in my wallet. I just, we weren't prepared. We had nowhere to go. We would, we would have had, we would have to leave our family behind because once someone leaves the FLDS church, they're not welcome back. And so it was kind of a dumb thing to do. We should have planned a little bit better, obviously. <laughs> but the the girl we were with that night, she said, well, you know, if, uh, if you need somewhere to stay tonight while you're figuring out your lives, whatever the heck's going on with you guys, you're more than welcome to stay on my couch. And we said, uh, okay. <laughs> so, so we stayed on her couch that night. And of course, the next morning, uh, her parents came down and were very concerned to see all of these polygamous boys hanging out on their couches. But uh, they, they kind of knew who we were, though, because they had seen us around doing work for them and that. But Anyway, but very, very friendly. They welcomed us in, welcomed us into their home with open arms. And they were and are very strong members of the LDS church. And so I was actually introduced to the LDS church for the first time through that family. Going back to the night we left, of course, my parents were very concerned. They were calling nonstop. I feel awful for this now. Now being a parent myself, I cannot even imagine what I put my parents through. I mean, I was 18 years old. In fact, it was the month that I turned 18 that we that we left. And I was so, I guess, I just didn't know what to do. I had made this decision that I wanted to experience something outside of the bubble that I was raised in. And that I was starting to have concerns that I was being lied to about certain things because I was noticing the the happy, good people in the outside world. And so I had kind of made this decision but how was I supposed to tell my parents that? How was I, how was I supposed to explain to them that I wanted to do that? Because in their minds, I'm leaving the only truth on earth. I'm giving up my eternal family. I'm doing all of these awful things if you look at it through their eyes. And that's where we're going to leave it this week. What an interesting, powerful story so far. Just being able to, to have the courage to, to leave something like this. It had to be extremely scary. I think Sam alludes to that. He had no idea what he was getting himself into. He probably would have done it totally different. Um, you know, if he had the mindset that he has now, he realizes that uh, the way he did it was was a stressful way for his parents for sure. Uh, but yeah, this is a powerful, powerful conversation. I, I've learned so much in this first part. I, I'll tell you that the second half is is just as amazing. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about leaving, um, what it was like kind of joining the outside world, the the struggles that, that he's had because of it, uh, the struggles of, of getting in a relationship, a monogamous relationship, somebody else who had, had been in the, the LDS faith, at least in a, a subset of it, uh, just the regular LDS instead of FLDS, um, 
what was what was that like for for both Sam and for Melissa? We're going to talk about how they decided to start making YouTube videos. So a lot of great things next week. A lot of amazing things that you you already heard. Um, urge you in the, in the week uh, before that that second half comes out to go check out uh, Growing Up in Polygamy. Their YouTube page. I will link that in the show notes. Uh, go give them uh, a follow. Give them. Uh, uh, some some listens on uh, on their YouTube videos. Uh, there's going to be a ton of stuff, of course, that we're not going to be able to to cover just in in our conversation. The next half is about 40 minutes. Um, you know, we're not going to be able to cover everything, but I can tell you they have videos that cover darn near anything that you'd want to want to know about this world. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Sam and Melissa. We will uh, <laughs> we'll see you for that second half next week. Um, if this is your first time listening to this podcast, go follow on Instagram, uh, not enough podcast, jacksnuff.com, not enough, uh, with Jackson Huff on Facebook, go leave a, a written review on Apple really helps out a lot. Leave a five-star review on Spotify and, uh, on Apple. That's amazing as well. Uh, you'll want to, want to follow along on Apple or Spotify, wherever you, uh, wherever you listen, just so you don't, uh, don't you miss when uh, next week's episode comes out uh, for that part two. But until then, take it away, Chris. This has been Not in a Huff with Jackson Huff. Thank you for listening. Be sure to join us next time where we will interview another amazing guest who is sure to make you laugh or make you think, or hey, maybe even both. But until then, keep being awesome.